Well, good morning. It's so good to see you in person. If you're in person, will you just smile for me real quick? It's so good to see your faces. I had to get up this morning and brush my teeth. You know, it's like, oh man, I got to start brushing my teeth again because people are going to see my face. And, um, that's a joke. I mean, I did brush my teeth. That's not a joke. But the rest of it, I at least brush it three or four times a week. And so, um, really am glad you're with us. If you haven't been with us in a while, so glad you're joining us. If you're online, so, so glad you're here. In fact, you might have better seats because we have some things we're going to be working on in the board. I'm going to talk about physics and engineering for a second. And many of you are going to judge me because that's your field of expertise, and it's not my field of expertise for sure, but you'll be gracious to me. That's very nice of you. So lots of stuff going on, but we have been for a while now uh, reading through the book of Luke. So that's a, a, a gospel and a good news a biography written about Jesus's life, and so we've just been slowly charting through and having these kind of what we'd call sub-series, and we're in the sub-series now called I'm In, and it's uh, the, the objective of it is to convince you to be in, to lean into the kingdom and um, there's a real good reason for that, and that's because our world is really broken. And so what you're going to experience over the next 45, 50 minutes is that there's going to be kind of a somber start. But don't worry, we'll get to a place of great joy and peace and hope, but it doesn't start there. And what's really interesting about the book of Luke, it was written by a real guy, Luke. He was a physician. He was a doctor. He was uh, well-known, well-liked, well-respected, had his own practice, and probably pretty affluent. And Luke does something crazy. He decides to go on a long journey, years, if not a decade, to do a significant amount of research, much more than any doctoral dissertation that's ever been written on the life of Jesus. But the reason he does it is because there's a guy named Theophilus, who we think was a Roman official because of the way that Luke refers to him in the, uh, the book of Acts that Luke also writes, which is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, right? He calls him most excellent, which would have been a, a term that would have been kind of, you know, uh, offered and delegated just to Roman officials. And so this guy named Theophilus, who would have been affluent, would have had a lot of influence, and yet would, was looking at our broken world and going, is this it? Is that, like, literally, is this it? Do I just acquire all the stuff? go as high as I can on the ladder and then die? Is this it? Am I just going to watch these Caesars and Herods and people just abuse people and leverage their power and affluence for, and leverage people for their own pleasure? Is that what this world is? That you climb as high as you can and then use the people below you to get the gain that you have? Is, is that what this world is, right? A guy who's wrestling through that, who has the income to actually hire Luke to leave his medical practice and go and do this crazy investigative journalism, right? So he goes, and he goes and uh, it tells us that he, he went and listened to all the oral accounts that he could hear, right? He went and sat down with all the eyewitnesses. This is so profound. And he sat, so right, we believe he probably sat with Jesus' mother, Mary, like in real life, real people. We believe he probably went and listened to the local synagogue rabbis preach on Jesus or preach on the Old Testament and what the solution to our world is. We are confident because he tells us that he went and opened up all the written documents he could get his hands on. That would have been other biographies about Jesus' life, like the one written by Matthew and the one written by Mark. He would have gone and read the, the current deeds at the local, you know, not really courthouse, but he would have gathered it all. He'd read all the genealogies. And he said that he write all these things. He put it all together for Theophilus and, by the way, us, so that we could have certainty of the things we've been taught. Right? In a world that's absolutely crazy, the idea that we could cling to some certainty would be so welcoming. And here's the good news. You can. And so when you go, okay, the certainty of the things you've been taught, what are the things that they were taught and the things that we can be taught? When he says that, he writes 1,151 verses. That's how many Luke writes in the Gospel of Luke. And in 568 of those, nearly half, right? He quotes Jesus. So he's going, you can have certainty of the things you've been taught about this guy and his teachings. And what did he teach about? Salvation, sin, evil, money, sexuality? Is that what he taught about? Did he ta teach you to pray some prayer and get beamed up into heaven and ask himself, ask him into your heart? Is that what he taught about? Well, sort of. But what he actually taught about was a much larger umbrella where all these little things kind of fit into it. And the thing that he taught about, in fact, 
over and over again, more than 90 times in the four Gospels, Jesus and others reference this thing, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They're kind of used interchangeably. And so what Jesus taught about was that there is an actual kingdom, that he came to rule and reign. And like Theophilus at one point would have seen Caesar as the one who ruled and reigned over the kingdom of Rome. Got it? And Jesus came to teach. He goes, no, 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 that's so silly. There's this little kingdom, but that's not the kingdom you should be interested in. There's a much bigger kingdom. And I sit on the throne above all those kingdoms. And this is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And more than likely, you've heard about it. And you've seen the scriptures held up at the ball games back in the day that said John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that ever believed in him and would not perish but have everlasting life. And you've heard the stories about maybe one day if you believe in this guy that you get to heaven and everlasting life at some point, which is true. But that's not really what Jesus came to teach about. You know what he came to do? He came to usher in this kingdom of God. So he came to teach about it. And he, Luke says, I, I tell you these things so you can have certainty of the things you've been taught about the kingdom of God. And here's the big wow. And here's what it is. The kingdom of God is not just something for eternity. It is. You get it. You get to live and experience it today. And that is so important. Because no other kingdom solves the evil in our world. No other kingdom solves the injustices that we see all around us. No other kingdom has a solution for death. Right? And the reality is that all of you, I mean, I, I know deeply, many of you have experienced some of the greatest losses in your life this past year. Some of you right now are still grieving deeply such real, genuine loss that you've just experienced. Many of us are looking at our world and have no idea how to lean into it. And if you have an idea, your neighbors, your co-workers, your boss, your kids don't. And there is no other kingdom that solves any of those problems. There is no other kingdom that can solve the issues that are going on right now in the Middle East. There is no other kingdom that can solve the issues going on in our country. Right now, there is no other kingdom. And so this kingdom that God talked about through his son Jesus, who was God, this kingdom that Luke writes about is so applicable today. And here's the craziest part of it. The way by which the kingdom advances is through his people. And so what's so beautiful about today is 50 days post-Easter, and you may be aware of this, particularly if you grew up in like a liturgical environment within the church. You got the day that you celebrate Easter, you know, Jesus' resurrection, really, really good. You count off some days, 40 days, and then you celebrate his ascension, meaning goes to heaven. And one of the reasons that's so neat is Jesus, before he does that, before he actually dies, he gives some commands to his disciples, right? You're going to see some more today. And he says, I want you to stay put, right? Actually, after he dies and comes back to life, before he ascends, he says, I want you to stay right here. And then, you're going to receive my spirit. And when you do, you're going to be my witnesses. And he starts defining all the territories geographically. He says, right here in your little area, Jerusalem. Now, a little bit bigger into the state, Judea. And then Samaria. Whoa, you didn't like to go there, but you're going to go there. And then he even says, the outermost parts of the world. He says, you're going to get my spirit. And then Jesus ascends back into heaven. And they kind of like are watching you on that strange. What do we do now? And some people, it wasn't really a review. They come and go, why are you looking up there? You got work to do, right? And they're like, well, we can't do the work yet. And so then they're kind of gathering all the church going, what do we do? The world's broken. Boy, people hate us. Just Jesus thing really messed things up. And they're all sitting. And all of a sudden, as they're sitting, this Holy Spirit, Pentecost, comes and lands on his people. The power of the Most High God, the power of the kingdom of God comes and lands on the people. And the reason it does is they believed it and they had faith. Jesus says, you, you want in on the kingdom? It's easy. And hard. You just have to have faith. And guess what? Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. And so what we've been learning for a while now is that Jesus came to teach about the kingdom. The way that you have access to the kingdom is you actually hear it. Really, really cool. So for many of you, you get to double down on this kingdom today. And you're going to get to make some choices. And you're going to be able to have a rubric to go, hey, am I actually believing this stuff and living it? I'm going to give you 10 points that you can check off and go, yep, that's me. Or, oop, got some work to do. You're going to get your points today, right? So those of you who like those things, you're going to get a checklist, right? It's going to be available to you. That's for you engineers, because I'm going to say centripetal and centrif centrifugal, and it's going to get confusing. Or that's not exactly how it works, so I'll give you your checklist later, okay? That's for you. Okay, got it? And so there's, we got to go, how do we live in it? And here's what's really, really so beautiful. And what we see happen in the scriptures, the way that it goes out is you actually hear it, right? That it's spoken. And you know this. You know how important language is. Like, why in the world do we get words if they aren't to communicate something? 
And those words do communicate something. In fact, every time you have a conversation, you're either uncovering value in people or you're covering it up. And that same thing has happened to you, right? So the way that the gospel starts, this good news of the kingdom of God, is Jesus started to tell people about it. In fact, before he told people about it, there were these prophets of the Old Testament who started preaching that one day things would be made right in the kingdom of God. And then right before Jesus shows up, like on the scene, he's already alive, but before he comes in and starts teaching these things, a guy before him, his cousin, John the Baptist, showed up. You know what he said? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And what's so interesting about that is people started hearing about it. But the thing that John was saying was repent. The word repent, metanoia, in the, in the Greek literally means to change the way that you think, right? So what happens is you speak this, but you go, oh man, is like, you know, God, really? Is that really the solution to our problems in the world? Yep, it is. And you start to think about it and rethink about it, right? And even in Romans 12, it says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, not this kingdom, but be transformed. What, how? By the renewing or the rethinking of your mind. So what happens is you hear about it and then you think about it. And finally, there comes this day where you go, yep, I believe the kingdom of God is near and at hand. I believe the kingdom of God is our solution to the problems. I believe our king, the kingdom of heaven is the problem with the injustices, the racial injustices, the poverty, all those things of the world. I believe it's the kingdom of God. And you start. You start to speak about it. You get to proclaim about it. And as that happens, the Bible tells us the power of life and death is in the tongue. As you start to speak about the kingdom of God, what ends up happening is it gets ushered in. Because it's not just you speaking. It's the Spirit inside you, and His words are going forth. And as they do, the kingdom is brought about. And that sounds strange, but it doesn't make it any less true. And so what we've been doing is going, okay, how does this work? How do we do these things? And so we've been kind of following Jesus and His disciples as He's been teaching, they've been hearing, and then He's kind of been going, here's what it looks like. And so what Jesus has done is He's gathered a few people, in fact, 12 ragamuffins, messy people, just like us, right? With no, um, you know, a messy backstory and very little education. Most of them came from a little, little podunk area called Galilee. In fact, we think 11 of the 12 did. They were not known. They did not have good professions. They were not well-liked. They were dirty, broken people, and Jesus invites them in. And what does he do? He starts to teach them. And as they start to hear about this, they start to go, maybe this is true. Maybe this is what we should do. And then he takes them after about a year, year and a half, and he charges them to go and say these things to other people. And he sends them out in pairs of two. We read it in Luke chapter 9. And he sends them out. He says, I want you to declare these things. And I want you to see people that are interested in the kingdom of God. And those 12 go out, and guess what they do? They bring back, you know, five dozen with them. And now they've got this larger crowd of 70, 72, plus these other people kind of following Jesus. And he's going from town to town. And what we saw last week is it says that he set his eyes towards Jerusalem. And that was a huge moment in the scriptures, really easy to miss. But all of a sudden, he's been recruiting these people. And all of a sudden, he goes, now's the time. Now's the time to hit the ignition button. Now's the time for you to get all the way in. Now's the decision to make. And we see that he sets his eyes on his mission. And when he sets his eyes on Jerusalem, what he's thinking about is he's thinking about what it's going to take to usher in the kingdom of God. And what that's going to take is actually his brutal beating, his brutal death, and then his glorious resurrection. So now, after being with his people for about 18 months, maybe even close to two years now, got it? And after uh, living 30 plus years on this planet, and then these two years, all of a sudden he goes, okay, now's the time. If something's going to happen, if we're going to solve this world, the kingdom of God is really going to invade through people in faith. If that's the doorway, now's the time to get going. So he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And what we saw last week was we saw some people go, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus kind of calls out some things. You can go listen to the sermon last week. I'm not going to cover the whole thing. But he basically identifies several different things that are keeping people like you and I from actually leaning in fully to the kingdom of God. The first one we saw was people uh, wanting Jesus to come in and be a part of their tribe and identity as opposed to them leaning in and going, Jesus is all you, right? Not inviting Jesus into your kingdom, but being invited into his kingdom, right? So Jesus uh, literally points to that and keeps on going. And then we saw people say, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you. And he'll say, the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. You say you'll follow me, but are you willing to sleep on hard, rocky ground? Are you willing to do that because you have chosen your comfort over me? And then we saw others with their security. And then the big one at the end, he says, hey, which of you who are going to follow the kingdom of God are going to look backwards the whole time? And he gives this beautiful, beautiful analogy where he says, how can you plow forward in a straight row while looking backwards. In other words, he basically said, look, you're not what you were. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a 
You're invited in fully with grace and mercy into the kingdom of God. You're not that. You're this. And he pointed them all forward. And so everybody's looking forward, wondering how the kingdom of God is going to happen, and now they get to make the decision. And what's so beautiful, I'll tell you all the time, that the Bible is both timeless and timely. Meaning it was timely, written and specifically to Theophilus and that first century group of people trying to figure out how to live in this broken world. But it's also timeless when he wrote these words, as Luke wrote these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God wholeheartedly knew that these exact words, hear me, these exact words we're going to open up and read today. We're going to land on your minds and your hearts. Like this passage was written specifically for every single one of you and for the kingdom of God to be ushered into your life and into your family. And so we get to open these things and go, okay, what does this look like? So Jesus has set his eyes towards the kingdom and he's going to give some people a decision to make and we're going to get to make the decision along with them. And so here's the big idea from the day. Really, really helpful, I personally think. Hopefully you'll find it helpful too. Uh, the big idea, you get to decide. So nice, Sam, right? We talk about this thing. You can wear a mask if you want to. You can not if you don't want to. You get to decide. You get to decide. You're an adult. You get to decide if you want to receive or reject the kingdom of God. Right? And as you read through these scriptures, what's really interesting is they have such a thick present tense to them. In other words, you get to decide today whether or not you want to receive and participate in the kingdom of God or reject and walk away from it. So God knew you'd be here today. God knew these would be your words for just today. So I'm really, really excited to read them. So here's the good news. We're finally in Luke chapter 10. We've made it, or 10, sorry, Southern, I say 10. Uh, so we've made it through nine chapters in 45 weeks. We're 45% of the way through in 45 weeks. So you figure out the math, right? For those of you math folks, that's right. It's going to take us a while, two years, right, to get all the way through. Very, very excited. 45% of the way through now, maybe a little bit less. But now we finally make that Luke chapter 10, verse 1. He's got about 80, 100 people following him, and he's about to put them to work. And we get to decide whether or not we want to work alongside them. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, after making these claims of do you want to choose Jesus over your tribe, Jesus over your comfort, Jesus over your security, Jesus over your past, right? Uh, afterward, it says this. And he said to them, I uh, said after this, the Lord appointed... 72 others and sent them ahead of him. Can you see this? So Jesus is going someplace. He's going to make himself known. But before he makes himself known, he sends people to prepare the way for him. Prepare the way of the Lord, right? Something that John uh, the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3, quoting Isaiah chapter 40. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Remove every mountaintop, fill in every valley, make every crooked path straight so that all mankind can see God's salvation. Right? So he's literally going, I'm going to send you ahead so you can prepare the way so that all the obstacles are the way so that people can see and experience the kingdom of God. So he appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So now we get to see the mission. Now we get to decide whether or not we want to accept or reject this. Do we want to reject it or receive it in these moments? get to accept it or reject it. You get to receive it, get to reject it, and there is a mission, and the mission is to be sent to every town and every place, which I really love, and this is what I've been thinking about. I've um, been here four years, actually, now. I've been in glorious time, hard time, all those things, right? Same thing as the last four years of your life, and I feel like the Lord is uh, speaking clearer now than he ever has in my life, and really, really beautiful, all those things, and I've been really thinking about kind of how we do church, what the purpose of church. You know, obviously, COVID is really, really um, complicated that of, uh, you know, in many ways, the way that our church has kind of operated has um, been a centripetal force, okay? Here's what I mean by this, okay? Centripetal. Hopefully you can see that here. Obviously online, you'll both see it well out in the parking lot. And so the idea of a centripetal force, and I might get this wrong, but you, again, you're gracious, so thanks for that. Uh, emails josh at clcfamily.church. It's not, uh, but anyway. Uh, Molly does see those, so she'll let me know whether or not it's something I should respond to. <laughs> so josh at clcfamily.church. But the idea of a centripetal force is this, you can think of it like a toilet. And in some ways, I think it's a good analogy. It feels a little uncomfortable at times, right? It's, it's you start on the outside, Right? And what happens is it draws things in. You following? Following. There's the arrow. It starts on the outside and it draws things in. Draws things in, right? So it starts on the outside, right? And so in many ways, you thought of our church kind of in that way, okay? We had within 10 miles of here, we got 80% of our folks don't walk with Jesus, don't live in this kingdom. That's concerning. Should be concerning to us. Should break our heart, actually, right? 
And so, uh, so how do we help them hear the kingdom of God and participate in it? So the thought was, okay, you, you, you get your people, you're connected to them, you get some influence. Why don't you go and love them and just invite them in? Just invite them in. Just invite them in, right? So we've done whatever we can. We've had uh, trails or treats and movies and, you know, you name it, we've done it here. And we've been trying to figure out how do we create an environment that people out there feel safe to come in here. So come in, come in, come in, come in. Let's figure it out. More people, more people, more people, come in. And hey, you bring them in, like you, you catch them and we'll clean them or whatever that is, right? Like you, you bring them in and we'll, we'll, and then I'll tell them about Jesus and hopefully they'll respond and then they'll be excited and they'll go bring some more people in, right? And it's kind of worked and then COVID happened and no, you can't bring people in anymore. We can't now, but we kind of go, okay, what do we do if the whole mission of the church or our church was to kind of get people in the doors and then we can't open our doors, right? Here's the church, here's the people, open the doors and Here's all the virus, right? Or whatever that is, right? So you have this kind of experience. You go, well, what do you do? And so we started thinking about it. And I definitely started thinking about it. Like, God, have we built this wrong? Like we want to make it simple. We want to build excitement. Then we want to build foundations. Then we want to help people build bridges. Like, and if you want to build a bridge, you have to have footings on both sides of the ravine. So let's go make a footing out there so they can cross the bridge and come here, right? Really beautiful, real pure hearts trying to help people see and experience Jesus. But here's the pressure in that. Your only job was to go and invite people in. And then I was supposed to our staff was supposed to tell them about Jesus and fix that, right? Here you go, here you go. Just bring them in. I'll take care of it. Bring them in, bring them in. We'll take care of it, right? And that's a, that's a real heavy workload. And then when you read the scriptures, it's like Jesus brought in a few, 12, and he loved them really well. And then what does he do? He doesn't just bring them in further and get them more isolated. He does the opposite, right? So that's centripetal. And now I'm going to tell you this other words. You go, well, that's kind of like a, it's not like a real force. And again, I'm not, I took, uh, both trig and calc-based physics 20 years ago, right? So forgive me if I get this wrong, but I think, I think you'll get the point, right? They're centripetal, right? The whole idea that you draw people in, draw people in, or draw things in, right? And then there's centrifugal, or like I said it for the first 10 years that I've talked about this, centrifugal, right? So centrifugal forces, and the whole idea of a centrifugal force is just the opposite. It starts in the middle, right? And you know it maybe if you know how things separate. I am um, way back in the day, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I bought an old Mercedes diesel. Beautiful car. And some of you have really, like, you love those. They're like the million-mile engines. They're a lot of fun, unless you put the wrong things in them, which I did. And they also need oil. Forgot that. But, um, but what I did, <laughs> it's so funny, and you can do it more in the South than up here, is um, I had a buddy who owned a fried chicken company, and I did all of his, <laughs> I, I did all of his, um, I mean, I could spend some time here. Maybe I'll tell you about Join me for overtime. There's some funny stories in this I can't share now, right? Real funny, actually. Man, I'm trying to show some restraint here. And so, but I had a buddy, and I did, like, I was doing website design and marketing, and so I did all of his website stuff. Really clever, really proud of it. So funny. I want to share it with you. But, um, but the deal was, I would do his design and marketing and branding, and he would give me his used vegetable oil. So I would go pick up big tubs of used vegetable oil, and I put it in this, like one of those big, big, you know, totes. And then I had this little mi this filter on the top that I'd pour it in, and it would filter it down to one micron. And then I would put it directly into my car, right? And it, I mean, literally, you can drive a Mercedes, and you can't do it up here as much without two engines, uh, two different compartments, because you got to heat it up enough because it congeals. Boy, does it congeal, and it, it doesn't work then. I literally have a memory of being in a polyester suit in the middle of summer because it's the only black suit I have, and I'm driving on the road trying to get to a funeral home as I'm about to do a funeral and my car stops working, and I cannot get there, and I'm a mile away, and I'm sprinting down the road in hot Georgia, like it's like May, trying to get to this funeral, and I show up late all sweaty because of the car, right? But one of the things that, another way to deal with the vegetable oil is you can actually drop it into a centrifuge, right? You just put it in, and it starts spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, and all the junk kind of goes to the outside, right? This idea that the same motions, both of these spin, depending on gravity, some of them suck stuff down into the middle, like a toilet, or they send things out, right? And so when we see how Jesus does this, he brings in 12, he loves them well, he meets their needs, he teaches them about himself, he gives them grace and mercy and teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then what does he do? We saw it about six months previous in the passage, only about two months ago for us here. And he sends out these 12 to go and connect people, to bring them back in. But why does he bring them back in? To teach them all about the Jesus, to teach them all about the kingdom of God, and then to send them out. So this is a great force. As long as there is a button that you push and it turns everything around. You got it? And so as we kind of wrestled through our church and going, hey, we still want to keep drawing people in, but not just for the sake of drawing you in, but because the kingdom of God lives in you. In you. Not just in me. Not just in this building, but in you. You are the church. 
When, so we can celebrate on the 50th day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes and lands on you and dwells within you, even if you don't know it yet. And the goal is for you to go and take the kingdom of God everywhere you go, to go and live like Jesus is living through you. Why? Because he actually is. And so we're going to keep doing the things like you just heard. Our, our, our we talked about in the 10 before today that we have movies this weekend, really great movies. We got a movie at 530. That you should come and watch out in the parking lot, Max. We got a movie at 7:30, uh, Unbroken. That you could come and watch and enjoy, and you can invite your friends, and you can start having conversations with them about Jesus and His mission and His church. Not so you can convince them to come sit in these rows and I can talk at them for an hour, but because the kingdom of God actually lives in you, right? We're going to still have walking trails all over this place. We're still going to have a disc golf course, which is glorious. And right now, as we preach, literally, right now, you can wave over there on the first hole, right? We, you can hear us. Like, they're literally starting the disc golf right now. And we're going to love them. We're going to love people really well. And we're going to draw them in. Why? Because we want the kingdom of God to be implanted in their heart so that they can then be sent out. So Jesus takes these people and he brings them in for the sake of sending them out. We're going to have summer of wow, right? To bring people in. For you to invite your neighbors to come with you. So you can start talking about the kingdom of God, right? You can start speaking it, and they can hear it. They can start thinking about it. Not here in the building, but as you go and live in the kingdom of God, right? Right this second, we're working on expanding our kitchen. Back in 2018, many of you gave money to open up a, a new kitchen downstairs, commercial kitchen. It has taken this long and many revisions because uh, building costs are outrageous to make it with well, good stewardship, honor what you've entrusted to this church, and yet meet the mission of being a place that invites people in the kingdom of God to send them out. And over the next few weeks, waiting on township approval, you'll start seeing a lot of construction happen right there. Right, right this week, you'll see a new kitty disc golf course, three holes, up in the top part of our property. Why? Because we want to invite families in. Not so we'll be a cool church and they'll show up in the, in the pews, but so that you can start inviting people in and loving them well. And you can start talking about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God lives in you. So you can be sent out and you got to decide whether or not you want to receive this mission or you want to reject it and wholeheartedly. I hope with everything you are, you receive it and you participate in it. And I promise you, I promise you, on your first day in heaven and your last day on this earth, you will not regret making the decision to receive this. In fact, I promise you next year and next month, you will not reject leaning into the kingdom of God because the joy and the peace that you're looking for will not be found in your tribe, your comfort, or your security, or your past. And so it is fully available to you now. And so Jesus is going to show this. And the way that these folks are really going to learn it, not by hearing more, but going and apply it. So the kingdom of God is meant to be applied in your life and in our community now because it is the only solution, right? So we're one verse in. Only got 15 more. Okay, verse two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into this harvest. So now we got the problem and we see the solution. But I told you our world's broken. It's been that way for 2,000 years. It's actually been that way since uh, uh, Adam and Eve wrecked it at the beginning of the foundations of humanity. But we see there's a lot of work to be done. And if we watch the news, read the news, listen to the conversations at the coffee shops or restaurants or from our parents or grandparents or grandkids, we understand that it is a broken world. And hear me, there is no other solution to death. There is no other solution to evil. There is no other solution to trafficking. There is no other solution to poverty and hunger and injustices and racial tensions. There is no other solution that will solve this permanently other than the kingdom of God. And he says, there is a massive harvest waiting out there. That's big vision, meaning there are, in our community, 80,000 people within 10 miles of this church, right this second, who God wants them to know about his kingdom, the one that was mentioned 92 times in the gospels, the kingdom of God. Jesus was quoted 568 times, pointing people to participate and live in the kingdom of God. And he goes, the harvest is plentiful. There is a problem. And the problem is the workers are few. They are few. 
And I'm not just talking about out there. I'm talking about even within the church going, no, I just want you to come and I want you to talk. I want to feel better. I want to empty my sin bucket. I'll empty it and I'll go take my bucket out in the world and I'll fill it back up this week and I'll bring it back next week, right? That, that's not a harvest solution, right? Maybe that makes you feel better, which is great. I'm glad you feel better, but there is work to be done. And Jesus goes, hey, look, I'm about to send you out. And there's a reason. The harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people who would love to hear about the kingdom. There's a lot of people right now really looking for it. The harvest is plentiful, but no one is going and reaping the harvest that's out there. So he's literally going, there's a big vision. There's a big hope. There's a lot of people who respond to the gospel if only they would hear it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And you see what he says first. How do you do it? Step one. Ready for this? Pray. Been really convicted about this at our church. And uh, we have a great group of prayer warriors. And you can actually literally call our church. And uh, someone will uh, be, be one to reach out with you and pray with you over the phone. Or working on ways to even do that via Zoom. Or you can literally just go and we can pray over you. Right? And we, can, and we have this list where you send in prayer requests and we have a team of people that pray every Tuesday. Our staff gets together and we pray. Our elders pray and it's so beautiful and there's such a response to the needs of our community and our church. But that's a portion of prayer. And I've been really researching, I've been telling you this, but I've been reading this, uh, paying attention to this book called Movements and seeing how movements happen with the gospel and really been paying attention to revivals. Really, really intrigued by the revivals here in the 1700s with George Whitfield, John Wesley, others. And every single revival... Um, the first step that seems like is repentance. This idea that well, finally we relinquish control and admit that we're really not in charge. We change the way we think and go, it's not our kingdom, it's yours. But every single one of those moments where repentance happens, and I'm talking about the masses, the masses. Before repentance happened, what you can see and you can chart throughout history is these moments of prayer. Like not prayer, God, would you fix my bunions? Not that you shouldn't pray that, you can. And he listens, right? God, would you, you know, fix my marriage? Not that you shouldn't pray that, you should. And he'll participate and bring in restoration and the way that he sees fit, right? But there's this part of us going, God, would you just bring your kingdom? Can we just experience your kingdom? This intercessory where we're going, God, would you just please have your way? And so I've just been convicted about the harvest and going, in order for us to reach the people in the harvest, it doesn't just me stand up on here and give you a good talk, get attaboys and pretty, pretty pleases with sugar on tops and a double dog dairy. Yes, none of those things, right? right? I'm talking about literally, how do we pray and invite the kingdom of God to take up residence in Southern Chester County, right? How do we pray for our church family and pray for our facility and pray for our property repent where we've got it wrong and just ask the holy spirit to come in and land in fact what's happening right now is we're putting a, a like a walking trail around the whole outside of our property by the way two loops around it will be a 5k which is just beautiful because one thing is what we want one we want you to exercise right it says to love the lord to god with all your heart mind soul and strength meaning the way that we love god has to do with how we care for our body right but beyond that, it's going, how do we create a spot where you can start making circles around this place? And you can pray for those playing disc golf. And you can pray for those that are going to show up at the movies. You can pray for those of us who worship in person. And pray for the cameras the, and the audio to, to get into every single ear and every single heart, right? Every big revival started with prayer and then repentance. So how do we do that well? Right, right now I'm going, Lord, how do, we, how do we create space where every hour of every day, or at least for a weekend, God, that this place, there's someone in our prayer room just praying for the harvest, asking God to send the laborers, right? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, gotta pray. Gotta pray, even if you don't know how. Just talk to God. Ask him. God, I don't even know how to do this. It's okay. He's listening. Right? Gotta tell him, like, one of the things that's really neat is one of the words for prayer is that literally means to exchange wishes. Meaning, you're fully welcome to talk to God about his, uh, your wishes. But the exchange piece is really, really important. That means you also should listen to his. Well, I don't know how to hear from God. Well, wouldn't it be nice if he wrote us a book? Right? And I say that in jest, right? So keep coming. Keep praying, right? So that's the first thing. You've got to pray. And then he said to them, the, uh, and I'm sorry, and then it says this, verse 3. We're, look, now we're uh, one-eighth of the way through. Uh, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. A couple things to think about. Last thing I'll tell you before we get there, though, is prayer in the month of June, so just a few weeks away, for five straight weeks on Wednesday nights, and you could do it from the comfort of your home. Our Cal Connect online Wednesdays for now. Hopefully by August we'll be back, Connect online, and per, or Connect on Wednesdays in person. But for five weeks, different people in our church will be teaching you on prayer. So if you really are stumbling through it, every Wednesday night in the month of June, you can learn all about prayer. Really, really glorious. But you see this. Step one, pray. Step two, go. Go. 
There is no kingdom of God where it just sits in your home or sits in our building. The kingdom of God advances as we go. He sends them. So he takes in the 12, sends them out. What happens? The kingdom of God advances. He brings them back in. You know, in 70, what does he do? He spends about six months with them, training them. And what does he do with them? He, he sends them back out, right? So if you've been sitting and listening for the last 45 weeks or for the last five weeks or the last two weeks, his objective for you to live in the kingdom of God is to go, but he is honest about it. Number one is you've got to pray. Number two, you've got to go. And number three, you've got to be aware of wolves. Look, there are people that hate God's kingdom. There are people that will hate you because you want to participate in it. Just very clear about that. There is an enemy. And he wants to still kill and destroy your family and our community. Right? There is no other explanation that explains evil any better. How in the world does a guy with a gun walk into an elementary school and open fire? How does someone walk into a movie theater and just literally usher in hell? Right? There is no other explanation that makes sense other than there is an enemy and he wants to still kill and destroy. You go, I don't understand all that. It doesn't make sense. Oh, God got allowed that. I'm going, hey, hey we, we could get there. But before we get there, we have to first diagnose the problem. The problem is, couldn't you just admit that there is an evil in our world? That there are people that just are filled with vitriol and anger and darkness, right? And you go, I don't agree with that. I don't know why God would allow them. Ah, oh, you can spin on that. And you, can, you can bark at the darkness as long as you want to, but it's not going to go away. The only solution to darkness, only solution, is light. You don't bark at the darkness. You don't scream at the darkness. You don't get your bullhorn and just tell people to stop being dark. There is no solution in that. The only solution is light. And there are a lot of things. I grew up in South Georgia, and our house was dirty. And we kept it dark. You know why? Because we didn't want to see the roaches on the floor. Right? I got a second. I'll tell you. Um, so I ate cereal for every single meal growing up. That's just what I did. just how it worked. Uh, you know, and... Um, one of the cereals that my parents liked for us was Raisin Bran. But the problem with raisins is they, you can't really distinguish in the dark between a raisin and a roach. Right? It's terrible. Terrible, right? So what do you do when you cut on lights? What happens? What happens to the mice? What happens to the critters? Right? They flee. Right? And so yes, it feels a little uncomfortable to walk in the darkness. But as you carry in light, darkness flees. Right? And literally, he says, so I need you to go. But you need to know that there is darkness out there. There are wolves. And that is a major, major pejorative in Middle Eastern culture. Right? You can tell them they're mean, hateful, bigots, whatever, they don't care. You call them a wolf, they're really angry. Right? I mean, they understand in a, in a, you know, a shepherding culture the value of caring for sheep and what the enemy is. Right? And so he's going, watch out. Because there's a lot of people I love and care for, but there are enemies who want to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus actually says it this way. He says the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There are wolves. But he goes, but I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And so how do you live that life? Not by sitting in a church. Not by just opening your Bible and staying in your home. You go. But you go with an awareness that not everybody's going to love that you're going. And that's okay. And what's so important about this, and this is what's so beautiful, that's why I think he sends them in pairs. Look, some of the greatest stories in my life, I, I, I mean this wholeheartedly, all started with, I'll do it if you do it. It's really dead. Right? There's just something about the beauty of community, right? It is a lot easier to lean into messy situations and painful situations when you're not in it by yourself. And so Jesus gives us his church and he gives us community that we get to go together. So you've got to pay attention to that. When he sends them to go, he doesn't say go by yourself. Don't go be a lone wolf. Don't go be a lone shepherd, right? Go in community. And he says, go. So you see that. And watch what he says next. Carry no money bag. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So he sends them, but he sends them with nothing. Literally, it was very common in that culture, if you're going on a trip, to take an extra pair of shoes. You understand that, because you've got all sorts of suitcases with three or four different hair dryers, right? I only use two. But, um, so, you, you know, right, so they would have taken an extra pair of, of sandals and that kind of stuff, and he goes, nope, don't want any of that. So what's he doing here? What's he doing? Really, really simple. Want to live in the kingdom of God? You got to pray. You got to go. You got to be aware of wolves. And you got to relinquish control. You got to surrender it. My opinion, the best definition of repentance, and it takes two or three steps because it means to change the way you think and then turn your ways, all those kind of things. But really, my best definition, I think, is to relinquish control. But it's really helpful because you don't actually have control. 
controls an illusion, right? So you're not really relinquishing anything. You're just confessing that you never have it anyway. And I am convinced that sometimes God puts us in situations that feel out of control to convince you that you're not in control, right? And so we live in a world right now that feels really out of control. That's okay because you never were in control anyway. So this is just an acknowledgement of going, I can't depend on my knapsack. I can't depend on my savings account. I don't know what the dollar is going to be worth next week, right? I, and I'm not trying to do fear-mongering. Like, I can't even depend on I'm going to get home safe in my car on the way home. Control is just an illusion. I can't depend on the next that doctor's appointment and checkup. I can't depend on any of those things. So wouldn't it be nice to just go, okay, God, I'm not going to depend on those things. And so Jesus sends them with nothing, not because he hates things, not because he doesn't want you to have good things. He says he's gracious to us, so we'd be gracious to other people. He tells us to be rich to one another, right? So it's not that he hates things. He hates when your things become first things and not second or third things, right? He hates when you put your hope and your comfort and your security in things. So first step here is to relinquish control so you can realize that Jesus is in control. So these guys, they walk away with nothing. Okay, we're going to go, right? And he says, so uh, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And see what it says next? And greet no one on the road. So interesting. Greet no one on the road. I think he's telling us there is you got to stay focused. It's so easy to get distracted. Get on Facebook for one minute and you go, what did I get on here for? Right? Hop on Amazon. Oh, what, what did I get on here for? Just so easy to get distracted. He's going, harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray earnestly for the harvest and then go. So don't get caught up in sideshows. There is a mission and there are people that he loves the solution to the brokenness of our world, there is no other solution other than the kingdom of God, and wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. So stay focused. And then he says this, whatever, so beautiful, whatever, um, and whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. I want you to see this. Whatever house you enter, wherever you go, whatever place you go, that's the oikos, whatever culture you enter, whatever group of influence you enter, what I want you to do first is see that it says say, I'm not making this up. It doesn't make a lot of sense. First you hear about it, then you think about it, and something happens. When you speak it, it becomes true. And you know that. We know that because we are still dealing in our soul and psyche with things that have been spoken over us. And so he's going, whatever you say, say peace to this house. In other words, wherever you go, because the kingdom of God is in you, you bring in peace. This is so amazing to me that you have Jesus inside of it. You don't have to go and give all the answers. You just bring peace. That word literally means shalom. It means completeness. You usher it in everywhere you go. How do you do that? You say it. You bring peace. And you go, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, how exactly does saying it make it happen? And I'm going, are you in charge of this world? Have you figured, like, like here, and I'll just say this really bluntly. Listen. You can determine the order of how things happen when you get your own kingdom and you get your own universe. But until we get our own universe, we kind of have to play by the rules of the universe we're already in. You know this. You're not going to jump off a massive building. Well, I don't really understand 32 feet per second. That doesn't make sense to me. Why is it not 28 or, you know, or whatever it is in meters? 9.28, whatever it is, right? Thanks for correction me in your head and I allowed, right? And so, right? We know this. You know, why is that the case? And you studied it long enough. I got to understand that. And he's going, look, look. I'm just telling you to go, be aware of wolves, relinquish control, stay focused, and usher in peace. You are image bearers of Christ and peace. This is the picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has wholeness in it. So you bring peace. How? By speaking it. Now watch this. Now the son of peace is there. Your peace will rest upon him. Meaning, God is already preparing you for what he has prepared for you, and he is, while he is sending us, he will be wherever we get. This is so profound. You're not going to go to a single place in this world where God has not already been. And so he goes, if. It's really important. This means not everybody's receptive to this, but if a son of peace is there, someone who's open to this, as you say, I just want to bring in peace. I want you to experience the kingdom. Some go, oh, I've been looking for that. And others go, that's disgusting. Shut your mouth right? And if a son of peace is there, here's what it says. Your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Hear me. This is so confusing and yet so freeing. God does not need you to save people. I told you the kingdom of God is the only solution 
but you're not the king of the kingdom of God. God doesn't need you to save people. For some reason, the way that he's organized it is he has called us to go. Beware of wolves. Relinquish your control. Stay focused. And wherever you go, bring peace with you. And he will allow us peace to land on people if they're receptive. He will, he will show you whether or not they're willing to receive it or reject it. Right? In this room, online right now, some of you are going, hear me. I want you to feel his peace today. And you go, oh, I want that. That's it. That's what I've been looking for. Others go, that's silly. Same thing. Right? If it can land, it will land. If not, I'll just return to you isn't poor stewardship. You're not just throwing away your peace of the kingdom of God. You're offering it, and some will gravitate to it. Some won't. And this is what it says next. And remain in the same house. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. The first thing I want you to see here is, as we participate in the kingdom of God, really, really neat. You get to receive from God. You'll go. And you will be shocked as you take the kingdom with you. You will be shocked at the people that you would have never thought would be open to the kingdom of God and open to Jesus who are. And you will go and you will enjoy fellowship and you will receive the blessings. This is so important, right? Because in Luke chapter 10, he tells them to take nothing and he sends them out. Why? Because he wants them to relinquish control and trust God. In Luke chapter 22, he tells them to grab their, their purses and their knapsacks and their sandals and their swords right? So it's not that he doesn't want you to have things. He just wants to make sure that you know that your things are there to be used for his kingdom, for everyone to enjoy, right? And so the next thing he goes, go and enjoy it, right? And remain in the house. You eat and you drink. You party, right? Like you get to enjoy the kingdom. This isn't like, woe is us. We got to go to these places. No, no. Where you go, he already is, and it's a party. You get to receive this. You'll go and you go, why did I wait so long to do this? This is the kingdom. This is all I was ever looking for, right? You get to usher it in, and you get to receive it. Whatever they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. I want you to see this too. It's so important. I want you to lean fully in. Not just stay focused, but lean fully in. Like Wherever you go, go and love well and enjoy well and build real community. You'll know when it's time to send more and you'll know when it's time to go out again. But in those moments as you fellowship, would you enjoy the unity and community that goes with it? So lean fully in. Do not go from house to house. And watch what it says next. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. This is interesting. It would have been really important to the Jews because they would have been going to places that would have had different cultures and they would have been asked to eat pigs and rabbits and stuff with hoofs that, and letters. They go, no, I don't, I don't do that. And this is what I think he's telling us. Be grateful and gracious. Grateful and gracious. Be grateful. God is meeting your needs. Maybe not in the way that you thought he would. Maybe not the car you thought he'd give you. And maybe not the community he thought you thought you'd have. But he will meet your needs. And when you have your needs met, be gracious. Don't go, well, this isn't what I wanted. Well, I actually was hoping for this. Right? I was actually hoping you could do this. He's going, no, no, no. Whatever is set before you, whatever is set before you, trust that I've put it there. Trust that it's for you to be grateful that I'm meeting your needs. And be gracious to those. And this is really, really important, guys. And I struggle with this deeply. We are a prideful bunch. We can't help it. We're told to be, right? Like, whatever you do, it's up to you. Work hard and, right? Like, just what we learn. We learn this self-reliance, which is so damaging in the kingdom because it's the exact opposite of what the kingdom of God is. You are not self-reliant. And people are offered to do something for us or meet a need, and we go, no, 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 I got this. And he's going, no, don't do that. Like, don't do that. Like, receive. Receive how someone wants to serve you. Receive it. Like, because they're actually getting to participate in the kingdom of God with you. Don't just say no. Don't just shut it down. Like, receive it and be grateful for it as you minister, right? I can still remember this. I can remember going to Kenya and it's so funny. They literally, it was so uncomfortable because they had a one-room hut and they actually slept outside so we could sleep in their room and it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I remember kind of our leader going, you can't, you can't sleep outside. That is their gift to you. No, they're going to offer you a chicken. You can't take it home because, it, I mean, we can't put it in the car, but you can sleep in the bed, right? It's so funny. So we slept in the, the, the bed while they slept outside, and there was a rooster that sat next to us, and it did not have a snooze button, you know? It's a mess. And so you get to receive this. You got to receive it. There's so much gift in the receiving. So you receive it. You're gracious, and you're grateful in verse 9. Heal the sick and say to them, 
the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick. And you're going, well, I don't have those giftings. Some of you do. You've just never used them. We were talking about this last night. Huh? Um, Kate, who's in our church, multiple times, and Briggs and I were sitting around the pool yesterday, and it's been, it's been a kind of a weird thing watching him grow up and get his own life. And one of the big fears for me is, is he, like, has he, does he have dad's faith or does he have his own, right? And he's pretty private, doesn't talk about a lot. And so please don't bug him about this. Feels a little uncomfortable talking about it. Won't go very far in it. But one of the things that we got to last night was just, he was like, Dad, I don't know why, but when Kate prays, like, I just believe the Lord's going to answer it. Like, so he's had, a, he's had ribs that we think were broken healed. He's had an arm that was broken get healed, right? I had a foot of absolute neuropathy, right? Like, I had a, a damaged nerve that should have taken years, if ever, to repair itself. And I, I mean, I have nothing now. This time last year, I, you saw me. I was walking like a Clydesdale, right? Like, and something has happened. I was going, God, Briggs, I tell you, like, I got some gifts. I think it's in teaching and leadership and administration. But Kate has the gift of healing, right? Like, and those are not gifts we talk about in the church. And he's going, look, look, heal the sick. Well, no, no, God, that's not how it works. We can't do that. That's what, you, what do you mean? The kingdom of God lives in you. And those are gifts he gave some of you. And I'm telling you, you have those gifts. Delana Walker in our church, she has those gifts. Some of us have those gifts and we've never exercised them because you've never been given permission to. Because it sounds weird and creepy, but it's not. It's how the kingdom of God works. And some of it works in the spiritual realm. Some of it works in the medical realm. Right? We have tons of people in our church who participate in healing with their God-given intellect and their abilities, right? Many of you are nurses and doctors. Healing is a part of it. But when we're talking about healing here, we're not just talking about you had a cough and now you don't. We're talking about you are walking on a path to complete destruction. And guess what God did? He brought healing and shalom into your world. So every time you speak, you are speaking healing. Maybe not physical body healing, but you are speaking it. You are proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. And you're going, oh, that just sounds so weird. And I'm going, again, you didn't write the rules of the universe. It is available to us. So he goes, hey, go and proclaim it. And here's what you tell them. The kingdom of God is near. And what's going to happen as you speak it, they're going to start to hear it. And they're going to go, is that true? Can I actually live in that? Because all the other kingdoms haven't worked. Yes, it's true. So the kingdom of God is near. Right? So you're going to speak it. And the last one is, going to heal the sick. And the greatest sickness right now is our pride and our arrogance and our disbelief and our refusal to receive grace. That is our greatest sickness, is our refusal to receive God's grace. So what you are rejecting is God's great grace for you. And so we're going to usher it in. And everywhere we go, we're going to speak God's grace. So you've got to take a picture and go, am I doing these things? Am I ushering in healing into our world? You get to speak it. And guess what happens as you speak it? You bring it about. I double dog dare you to try. But then there's a change. There's a change in scenery. There's a change in mood. And I want you to see verse 10. But whenever you enter a town, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your, our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this. Again, the kingdom of God has come near. So you go. And this is so interesting. If you read like uh, Psalm 42, there's this guy that is in deep pain. And, uh, and then it, he literally says to himself, this is as the deer panteth, by the way, many of you know it. And he literally says to himself in it, he goes, uh, it's the sons of Kor, and he says to it, so weird, my, why my soul are you so downcast? He's saying it out loud. And again, he says this to his soul. He's literally talking to himself, put your hope in God. Like he has to remind himself. And so there are times we have to go, look, it's God's kingdom. God's kingdom was trying to usher itself in. We got to keep going. We got to keep moving. We can't convince. We can't pull out the PowerPoint presentation and think it's going to solve the problem. We just got to declare the kingdom of God was close, but there are some that just will not receive it. So what do you do? You pray. You pray for more laborers. You pray for more work, right? The way that, uh, that, 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 that Charles Spurgeon prayed it, he said, God, would you draw your elect? And then he'd say this every Sunday before he preached. And would you elect some more? Right? And so God, you just pray, but you just have to go. I can't save people. I can't fix people. We wipe our dust off the pain and the sorrow of it because we still can't look in the past. We've got to move forward. The kingdom of God is coming near. And here's the warning. Verse 12. I tell you, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he continues. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. 
Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So he's going, you're going to go out, and some people aren't going to receive it, and it's going to be painful. And he goes, well, how could God do that? I thought he was so nice and loving and kind. Oh, he is. And so the way you got to envision this is there is a train, and we're all on it, on it, on it and there is, it is moving fast, faster than any of us want to go. And it is heading straight down to destruction. We all were born on that train. We were. And our world is fueling that train. And you're moving at breakneck speed towards that destruction. God did not put you there. We put ourselves there. So how could God send us and do this to us? How could he do that? No, no, he's not doing it. He's only going, there's a different train. And I'll let you get on my train. And it's bound for glory. You know the song, right? It's bound for glory. God's not, God's not sending you to hell. We're choosing our own path. He's going, woe to you. And that word woe sounds so condemning, but it's not. That word woe in the scriptures is this deep pain and sorrow. Right, just this week, uh, God revealed some things in someone's life who I love dearly that's really not good. Deeply painful for them. It is a path of destruction. I remember sitting with them and going, okay, I just want to talk to them for a second. And I started to talk, and I could not keep talking. Like, I just was almost embarrassed. Like, I don't want them to feel control over my emotion. But I just started sobbing. Not because I was just so grieved that there is a path of the kingdom of God that I wanted so badly for this person, but I couldn't want it more than they wanted it. Right? And this is Jesus, this woe is going, oh, there's this pain, Lord. Like, there's just this pain. And he's going, woe to you, children that I love. It'll be more bearable, as it says in verse 14, in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon. It'll be more bearable because you've heard the kingdom of God and you've just rejected it. We have to decide. Do you want to accept it? I reject it. In verse 15, he says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You shall be brought down to Hades. He goes, look, you've heard it. We've ushered it in. We've spoken about it. And you have just in your pride and arrogance said, I'm not interested in that. I don't understand it. I need my own universe. And Jesus is going, you're on the train. And you refuse to stop. And you've heard it. And you've heard it. And I just would say, please, 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 if you're hearing this, would you just consider the thing that you are denying is God's great grace to you. That's the beauty of this. Every single person who's hearing this is utterly broken. The only thing that many of us have is God's grace has just come and injected himself into us and go, you are not worthy. You cannot earn it. You cannot participate in the kingdom without me. You cannot get through the door, but I have stood at the door and knocked and you have been willing to open the door and let me in. And then he says this, verse 16. The one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who rejects me rejects the, him who sent me. This is harsh. And it's true. And it's gracious and it's kind. You go and you want in? And you hear the words and you respond. You invite the grace in. How do you know if you actually believe this stuff? Because something's happened for you. And you've gone, I have tasted and saw that God is good. And I got to go and I got to participate and bring in the kingdom of heaven everywhere I go. He has hit the ignition switch. And he's sending those willing to go with his spirit. And I promise you, if you go and you participate, you will experience him. You'll experience his spirit. And you'll experience his gifts like you never thought possible. Or you can reject it. You can reject these words. You can reject my words, Sharon right now. And you can reject the one who sent these words. And you can reject the kingdom altogether. And that's scary. And you get to decide. Because you're an adult. And Jesus loves you. And he has a plan for you, but he is not going to demand. He is a respecter of boundaries, but you get to participate in the kingdom of God. And here's the glorious part of the kingdom of God. You don't have to be experts. You notice this doesn't say that you have to um, have your life together. You see any of those in the 10? Have you memorized any scripture? You see that in the 10? Uh, do you tuck your shirt in, part your hair? Are you married, divorced, widowed? You see anything about any of those things in here? See anything about it? Rich, poor, white skin, black skin? brown skin no all of us get to participate in the kingdom and that's why i love because i knew this was going to be harsh and so the band's going to come up and so i don't want us to stay in this 
want you to hear it. And I want you to receive it. And I don't want you to reject it, right? But I also want you to declare in the goodness that you get to go and participate in this. And so we're going to wrap up in a song. And I'm going to pray over you that God would usher in his same spirit like he did at Pentecost into your life right now. And you will go out of here different than you came. And what we're going to go out of here going, no, no, this isn't about us. We're not special. We're not including our, our abilities and our pedigree and our education, our experience. Don't show up on the board. His spirit does. And so we get to literally say out loud, we're just nobodies. All we're going to tell about is somebody who came and saved our life. You get it? We get to go and proclaim that. So we're going to get to declare it together in community, and then we're going to get to sit, be sent out in community to go and usher in the kingdom into our world. So I'd love for you, if you're in the room with me, or if you're outside, or even in your living room, do you mind just standing for a second? Because I just want to pray over you. Then I want to wrap us up in this song. So let me pray. Holy Spirit, that's a lot of words. Those words are good, Lord, because they're your scriptures, and they're your calling, and they're your mission, and they are your solution to the brokenness of our world and the pain in our own. Jesus, your spirit wants to come and dwell on every single person. So God, I just even think about that passage in the, at the moment of Pentecost. That literally, God, they were baptized in your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you baptize your people? Like, we're asking you, Lord, like in a way that we don't even understand because it's not our universe. The way that we didn't understand gravity when we were children, God, and maybe one day we'll grow up and we'll get it. But until we do, God, would your spirit just come and would it dwell on your people in this room and in our parking lot and online, God, would your spirit come? Would you do a radical reversal and reformation in our life? And God, would you renew us? And would we celebrate and rejoice that we really are nobodies? that you have seen and loved and given us a mission of hope and peace and joy, and we get to go and speak your peace and healing to other people. So God, would you give us your great gifts to go and use for your people who you love, for your great mission and commission and commandments to love one another. God, would you just bring your peace on us? And God, would you empower us with your spirit and the confidence of your spirit to take the kingdom everywhere we go? And God, we confess we don't understand it but we also confess we want it. We beg you, God, for your spirit and your kingdom to come into us. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you join me as we sing? Yeah. 
Yeah. 